0: thank you so much. God, I thank you, Father, that we can Lord, we can look back at the prayer list from last week and the weeks before. And, well, there's so many answered prayers there, God. I, it's easy for me to look back and see that they're not all answered the way I want them to be answered. But, God, I can look back at a lot of them. And, God, I can see your faithfulness in all of them. I can see your healing hand in many of them. I, I can see your grace in, in every one of them, God. I I see your love, your care, Father. Lord, we see it in our lives, God. Lord, our life is a is an example of your goodness and your testimony, God. And in the song, I see, it, I see it. I see the goodness all over my life. God, I pray, Father, you'd be with us tonight right here, Lord, in this room. Lord, if we take a look into your word as you gave us this book called The Acts, The Acts of the Apostles, God, and Lord, you've shown us things. You've taught us things. You gave us things for a reason that we might read them, that we might learn, and not just skim over, God, but there, there's in-depth things that you teach us. There's so much that you show us. God, I pray you give each of us a nugget tonight. I pray you'd help each of us to learn something, God. I pray even out through the airways, God, if there be any listening there, would you, would you give them a little something where they are? Help us, God, to be pleasing to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll pick back up Acts chapter 11, where we left off last week. We were at verse number 17, and we left off at verse number 18. If y'all remember, there was a discussion going on between Peter and those of the circumcision. Peter had left Cornelius' house. He'd come back to Jerusalem, and they were there to accuse him. They were scolding him because he'd been up, and he went, and he ate with the uncircumcised there. And and so it kind of almost a confrontation, if you will, as they're accusing him of some things. And, and Peter, he, he says, look, look, let, let, me, let me tell you what happened. Here's what happened to me when I was at Joppa. And here's what happened to Cornelius up at Caesarea. And they sent man down that the Holy Spirit told me was coming. I went up there, and this is what God did in Caesarea. This is how the Holy Spirit fell on a group of people. They received the gift of God. They received the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but you got Six other men that were with me that, that all saw it. And he said in verse 17, For as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Peter says, You want to argue with somebody? You got to go a lot higher up than me. All I did was what I was sent to do, called to do, told to do, got there, and God did something amazing. If you want to take it up with somebody, get on your knees. I'm sure he's listening right now probably has something to say to you. What was I going to do, argue with God? Then he says that when they heard these things, they held their peace, they glorified God, saying, "Then, man, this this ought to be underlined in every one of our Bibles. Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life man that is a huge text in the word of god for us being gentiles that whole section has been a huge proving of what jesus christ did not just for the jew not just for the hebrew but for you and i that we might come to know christ it says that they held their peace they were fully convinced peter's story struck to their heart i'm pretty sure peter's story would have been led by the holy ghost he wasn't just talking out of his mouth the holy spirit that met with him at joppa that led him up to Caesarea, that had him talk at cornelius's house the same holy spirit has come back with him to jerusalem and i have no doubt that when he talked he was talking with the anointing of the holy spirit and the men were were touched their heart was touched they reversed their accusations they held their peace and they began using their voices for something worthwhile they glorified god that'd be another really good lesson for us to underline right there we spend a lot of time running our mouth about stuff we don't need to be running our mouth about we spend a lot of time blowing hot air that's why it's hot out there too many people running their mouth all the time talking trash, all the time talking stuff, using the voice that God gave us for stuff that don't make a two-cent hill of beans when we ought to be using it to glorify God. God's been good to us. Somebody ought to say amen. In all things, all situations, at all time, God's been good to us. On top of salvation, everything else that it does, they begin putting their voices to something good. They glorified God. God, God has made a way of salvation for all of mankind. He has broken down the walls of partition. There is no division between Jew and Gentile. He has made all one as the bride of Christ. Verse number 19, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So the Holy Spirit backs us back up right here to Stephen. Remember, that's kind of where it all started with the spreading, with the anointing with Stephen and, the, and Saul of Tarsus and the stoning there. He backs us all the way back up there. But remember how we looked when we were looking at it, how God did something amazing through what looked like a tragedy. When Stephen was stoned, Stephen, one of the first of the deacons of the church, he was stoned to death for simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it looked like a tragedy. It looked like the devil had a victory. It looked like he had come into the church and knocked off one of the main preachers, and he had won this big victory. But in all reality, it was God that had done something special. What God did was allow the devil to shoot himself in the foot. Because what the devil did was had Stephen stoned and started persecution. When he did, Christians fled everywhere. The word of God fled everywhere, so that even the devil could. anybody anybody ever been burning a trash pile or forest fire or something? You, or you, you, anybody ever a fire ever get out on you? Y'all don't want to talk about anybody had fire get out? Man, I was, I don't know, twelve, thirteen. I'm, huh? You have. Our first time ever happened, we we used to have pigs, and sometimes we'd take a bunch of pigs fat and put them at the barn over on the lake on the other side over there, and you had a big automatic feeder. Y'all know what pig feeders are? Big bin. You fill them up. It's got little flip lids all the way around where the pigs can eat and get fat so you have some groceries. So the only thing, I guess, did did we get that free from Gold Kiss through John S.Q.? Them little packets, we got them for free. So... The, the good deal is that Gold Kiss, it was experimental feed, and, and this guy, Mr. John S. Q., gave us these big bags full of pig feed. Only problem was all the big bags was full of a bunch of little bitty sample-sized bags. So guess who got to open the little sample size bags and dump them one little bag at a time down in the trough? When you get through, you had bags to burn, right? So I'm out there burning, winds blowing, and, man, that wind got to blow and blew some of the things in the woods. That was my first experience with a fire getting out of hand. If I would have been as old as I am now, I'd have just had to let it burn some stuff down. Because when I got through, I was wore out. Daddy over there laughing. He told me we were burning the property one time. Fire got out on the other side of the property. We thought it was out. We'd gone to the other side. we come back over. It done got out running across the field. I called 911. I said, man, I need a fire truck. She's over here at Mr. Fred Israel's house. I need it sitting in the driveway. And she said, address. I give her the address. I'm thinking, you killing time? I tell her everything. She said, sir, we, we have that. That's a control burn. No, ma'am. That was a control burn. I'm the one with the permit. I promise you that fire is not under control. I need a house sitting it. I mean, I need a fire truck sitting at Fred Israel's house. It was the thing about a, a forest. Well, forest fire is the same. Any fire that gets out of control is you're always fighting it on the downwind side, right? Choking to death in the smoke. Can't fight it on the backside. It's on you. You're fighting and beating, but you notice the wind is always blowing stuff ahead of you. It's always carrying ashes into the dry and it just keeps getting you trying to fight it here that's kind of what the devil did to himself right here he started something when he started doing persecution there in jerusalem christians that were on fire began going out into all parts and that's what the holy spirit shows us here they went as far as phoenix and cyprus and and the antioch preaching but it says none to the jews only so the the, the thing that that happens with the Holy Spirit, we're at Jerusalem, and and He tells us about this scene. You know, we were at we were at Cornelius's house in Caesarea, and then He carries us straight down to Jerusalem. We have a story, but now all of a sudden, he, he carries us to another scene. At verse number eighteen, He carries us to some of the most Gentile cities in the world, Phoenix, That would have been the old land of the of the Philistines. You know, one of the great armies of israel one of the great enemies if you will that that was against israel cyprus that's soon we'll see it in our study of acts but that becomes one of the cities that that becomes very well known in in the bible for the bible and the things that we'll study here but in in the day it's an island off the coast of syria and there was a lot of false god worship there one of the key figures there would have been the worship of venus um one of the the love gods for the for the greek goddesses and And then it it says that uh, they were at Antioch, so 300 miles to the north of Jerusalem. See how it spread? He mentions Stephen, and he mentions these cities, so we see 300 miles to the north, the gospel is spread because of what happened to Stephen. I'm, I'm just emphasizing that because sometimes things happen in our life that don't make sense. Sometimes things happen in our life that we don't understand, We question God, why? How could that be any good? How could anything good come out of that? How could it even work together to make things good? They don't make sense to us, but God always has a plan. And the Holy Spirit doesn't accidentally mention Stephen before he mentions a town 300 miles north of Jerusalem where the gospel is being preached. Now, at the time, Antioch is... Is famous for the worship of the god Daphne. Daphne is over springs and waters and those things. I guess anything fresh water. There's a lot of worship there. That they had a cult in place to go the cult of Artemis, that being the Greek goddess of childbirth. There was a lot of worship there. But they were really known um, there in Antioch for having the sanctuary of Apollos. I don't encourage studying all the false gods. It it. For Bible college, we had to, as part of the doctorate, to study a lot of the things, and, and even the same with the cults of the world and so that you can recognize things and be able to help, try to help somebody with some things. But this, 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 this sanctuary here had some of the most disgusting practices known in the history of the world. Um, sexual imperversions unimaginable. Um, child sacrifice there were some horrendous things that that went on here at Antioch it was incorporated into Rome It was one of the Roman cities had a population of about 200,000 people So it would have been the third largest uh, Roman city of the Roman Empire there So the Holy Spirit takes us from a conversation in Jerusalem a conversation that clarifies the fact that the gospel is offered to all of humanity then he, then he moves us up to, to the cities where the Christians fled after persecution began in Jerusalem, and, and it all began with the stoning of Stephen that was led by Saul of Tarsus. And it all matters because we're fixing to find Saul again, we're facing to get to them again, be back, but, but you gotta remember where it all started to see how God put something together to make all things work together for good, some some bad things. I um I I got lost talking about my little fire a while ago. I'm still trying to find my way back in here. It says there <coughs> that preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Now, that was the original command. Remember when Jesus sent out the disciples, he sent them out unto the Jew, not and unto the house of the lost sheep of Israel. So they didn't go out to the Gentile then, but they also did not go to Antioch then. They did not go to, to distant lands then. They stayed in the homeland of the Jew. He goes on in verse 20 and says, And some of them, some of them were, were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, Preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord So God used Peter and his story with Cornelius to open the door to the Gentile to the scriptures to the Word of God But right here. It's like a floodgate. It's not an open door now It's like the gates have been swung open wide these Cyprus and Cyrene Jewish Christians are preaching the gospel. They have a vision. And their vision isn't limited to a handful of people, it's not limited to the house of Cornelius. It is to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. So they begin preaching Christ to some of the most, come on, with Also, go with us. He will guide our lips, He will guide the things that we say. And as through our lips he's speaking into their ears just like he anoints us to speak he is anointing them to hear it's all up to us to just trust the holy spirit we're just we're just a mouthpiece right if we just put it in motion the holy spirit will work the text says that a great number of them believe and turn to the lord so what we have right here is is the holy spirit is doing kind of like what we do right here on this spot in the easter play Got the lame man, the lame boy with the four friends. He's laying there, and the Pharisees are having a fit, and he's going to heal on the Sabbath day, and he's already touched that man that's unclean and talking about all the sins there. And and all of a sudden, Greg says, wait a minute. I recognize you. And he talks about the 12-year-old boy, and everything freeze frames. And it leaves from here, and it goes up to 12-year-old boy Jesus up there on the stage, and then at the end, it comes back. Well, that's kind of like... What happens right here in this text? The Holy Spirit has carried us down to Jerusalem. You had a conversation to make sure. I mean, the Holy Spirit goes to great lengths to make sure we understand this about the Gentiles. He's done all that. He tells all that with Peter. He tells it three times in that story about what happened, twice about what happened at Cornelius. comes back to Jerusalem, tells the story again. So here he is at Jerusalem. Then he goes away, and he carries us all, kind of like a freeze frame. He goes up there, and he tells them everything that's there, but, but then he comes back. To Jerusalem he says in verse 22 the tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem so you see that few verses right there he's at Jerusalem he stops to go up there and show what the preaching of the gospel does even in wicked places he names some of the most vile cities and he says hey even these men of Cyrene and Cyprus preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in some of the most wicked places Many believed and heard and believed, and then he comes right back to Jerusalem. So they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Peter didn't take it there. Even Paul the apostle didn't take it there, and he, he as we know, becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. So this is just kind of speculation. As I was studying this, I like to tell you speculation before I start so you can do what you want with it. Many times, even though God shows us something, it would seem that after Peter had explained what happened in Cornelius' house, and, and even though they have understood that the gospel is now open to the Gentile world, even the apostles do not understand the full scope of what God... ...to the Lord... We see that in the last half of the verse right there, exactly what we preach in this church. It's what we preach to the children, it's what we preach every Sunday, it's what we preach every time we get together, is it is about the heart. It says that when Barnabas saw the grace of God, that, that he was glad. He exhorted them all, that means he taught them Oh, he exhorted he added to he he advised them that this is not a play on words This is not a position of the head This is not a change of idea salvation is a matter of the heart Not of the head. That's why we That's why I spend time on Sunday mornings trying to help people understand This is not a verbal decision This is a heart decision In my honest opinion, by the time somebody utters the words out of their mouth, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner, they're probably already saved if they truly mean that because their heart has already reached a position that I want to be saved. It's the changing of the heart. It's like baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. Actually speaking the words with the mouth, if the heart truly means it, the heart is changed before the mouth ever says it. And so he's telling them right here, this is a position of the heart, not of the head. And it says in verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. I'm not going to spend any time on that because Lord willing, I'm going to preach on that verse. I'm going to use a lot out of that verse on Sunday morning as we look at Father's Day. But in verse 25, Barnabas says, man, I need some help. I mean, there's a lot going on right here. I I need some help. It says that he departed, departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Why Saul? He came from Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem sent him. Peter was there defending all that happened. Why didn't he go back to Jerusalem and get Peter? He had Peter and John, Andrew, Bartholomew. He's got them all there. Why wouldn't he have gone back and gotten a lot of help? Why didn't he go get all the other apostles? Why did he go looking for Saul. The Bible says there that he went searching for Saul. Man had been a lot closer. He could have just gone to Caesarea and got Philip, right? We already know Philip don't mind preaching to the Gentiles. We already we've already seen that, We're, right? We well, don't back up and go over that again. So, but, but why, why does he go seeking for Saul? Understand that this word seeking, when Luke is telling the story, matter of fact, is part of that same thing I taught to play, when Luke is telling the story, y'all remember when, when Mary and Joseph lost Jesus? Probably everybody in here at least one time, you was at a gas station, you was in a mall, you was in a Walmart, you was somewhere, and you looked around and your young'un was missing, and for five seconds your heart stopped. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, probably everybody, if it lasted 10 seconds, it's a wonder we're still alive. That panic-stricken moment that I have lost my child, where could he be? It's just that few seconds. For days, they have lost the son of the living God. Can you imagine when it says they were seeking him? Can you imagine the franticness of looking for him? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, if I lost my young in a couple of days, I'm looking, calling everybody, but if, if I've lost Jesus, I'm pretty concerned about that. I mean, God trusts it, so it says that he's seeking him. It's the exact same word that Barnabas is seeking for Saul. He is intent on finding Saul, looking for him. So why not John? Why not the other apostles? Y'all don't mind if I just ask questions while I'm studying stuff, do you? I mean, I, I'm just a little curious. So I, so I, was, I was looking in, and for, for one thing, just reality, Saul's smarter than all them. I mean, they're fishermen, they're unlearned men. I'm not casting a stone in their world, but we have Saul's story. He is a very educated man, and he has all of the rabbi training. I mean, he is a very intelligent individual. But I thought of something else when I saw, he is a Roman Boy, that can come into play huge. You're going to mess around up here in in these Roman cities, these Roman towns doing things. So so that would have been very important. But the reason why I believe that it's the Apostle Paul and not any of the others is because that's who the Holy Spirit sent him to get. The Holy Spirit, I, I know the Apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. But it says that he is a man full of what? The Holy Spirit. I believe the reason he's looking for Saul is because the Holy Spirit sent him to find Saul. He sent him to his homeland there at Tarsus. And looking it says that when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they were assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Remember a few weeks ago, we were at chapter 9, verse 26. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he assayed himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Remember, none of the apostles would have anything to do with him. Not, none of the original ones. But remember who it was that befriended Saul? It was Barnabas. Verse 27 said that Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them he had seen the Lord in in the way and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas knew that there's something special in the mind of God about this man Saul. Now, if you remember Saul for three years, the apostles didn't even know where he was when he was off away preaching. There was a time, so there was a, a time frame when Barnabas, Barnabas didn't see Saul. He doesn't know what's going on. So there's no doubt that Saul has has grown, I would think, exponentially in his walk with the Lord during this time as he's prayed and spent time teaching and learning. He has grown in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. I mean, it's Paul who... Gives us the mystery of the cross of christ in, in his letter to the church at rome It's paul who gives us the mystery of the church In his letter to the church at ephesus. It's paul who gives us the truth of the return of christ in his letter to thessalonians Th- Thessalonians the thessalonica Paul is, is used greatly by god. So so he gives him he comes back here And Saul is teaching the whole counsel of God. He's come a long way since the last time Barnabas saw him. So he's teaching. And and a multitude of souls are being saved. So this is is the verse, obviously, where we got our name the whole year, assembled themselves with the church, taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. It's believed by some that this would have been a, a mockery. This was a derogatory term. They were called Christians is those trying to pretend to be like Jesus, those trying to talk about that one Jesus, those who are going around proclaiming and still bringing up the things of this Jesus. So there's some that say that name came about as a mockery, that there, there's some that, that believe it was a name given to represent those who preached Christ. And it, it, the, the word that they use means they are slaves of Christ. I'm okay with that. Well, if I gotta be a slave of somebody, I want it to be one that loves me that much. Amen. So some believe it comes from a word that means it was a slave. The the Greek word was krastos, which means useful. Some say that's where it came from. And and then others believe that it comes from the word kristos, which is which is possible, but it's not possible that the Jews who were making accusations would have used that name Christos as a mockery to describe Christians or Christ-like because that name truly does represent Christ and the Jews never acknowledged that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So it's not possible that the Jews would have given that name, but the reality is regardless of how it began, whether it was intended to identify those who were Christ-like or whether it was used as a mockery of those who claimed to follow Christ, regardless of where it came from, it is a name that stuck, and it is a name that I am very thankful to wear. It is a name that simply means Christ-like. It is an absolute privilege for a wicked, no-account somebody like me to get to be called by a name that's tied to Christ. What it does, it ties us to Christ and Christ to us. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? So so we know that that's where they were, were first identified, first called Christians. The Holy Spirit uses the name, 1 Peter um, chapter 4, verse 16, said, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So from then all the way until now, it's the name that stuck that we're called Christians. So for a year it says that they're there together, that they're spreading the good news, and once again, the good news makes a three hundred mile trip back down to Jerusalem. You know, we talked about the network that the Jews had. It had to have been a pretty good network of traveling information. I don't know if it's footmen or horsemen, but it had a pretty good way of getting down. So once again, got God doing a great work, and it gets back down to Jerusalem. In these days, the prophets, it says the days that the prophets came, the prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Prophets here is exactly that. It's the same as the word prophets you find in the Old Testament. It is those who foretell of future events. It says in verse 28 that there stood up one of them. What in the world is going on? I got to take this thing out of my pocket. All that lightning and stuff going on. Did y'all's phone do that? Keep talking about lightning. That thing is having like a video game in my back pocket back there, man. It's driving, driving. I know it's lightning. I hear it. <clears throat> Y'all, Robin, I'm to get my phone. I might need it. For a year they've been together. They're spreading the good news. It reaches down to Jerusalem. The, these prophets have come up, and, and they're telling of an event, verse 28, that there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dark throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So you got a whole lot happens right there in one verse. I mean, you got some apostles coming that said there's going to be a huge famine in the land. And then at the end, it says that it came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So I, I was thinking it might be another one of those freeze-frame ideas, you know, kind of like we just talked about where we freeze-frame and Easter plague. I thought maybe it would come back and talk, but I, I really couldn't find anything else on that. The only other time we see this man, Agabus, in the Scriptures in chapter 21, he prophesies about the future of the Apostle Paul. The apostle Paul is spreading the good news. He's doing a good work. And this man, Agabus, chapter 21, and verse 10, obviously we'll get to it in several weeks. It says, as we tarried there many days, there came one down from Judea. Remember, it's the same thing said that he came up here to Antioch. Now he came down from Judea, a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle. He bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, we'll see when we get to that story a lot, and they begin crying and weeping, and that's not going to happen to Paul. And Paul gets upset with them and says, hey, I'm ready to die for Jesus. Don't be upset about this prophecy. It, it doesn't matter to me. Whatever the Lord wants for my sake, that's what I want. But we'll see that when we get to chapter 21. But here in our text, it says in verse 29... Then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. So, like I say, I was, I was thinking that might have been another one of those time-lapse deals, but I couldn't find anything to support that. So, it seems like they began making preparations for this drought. They, they began preparing for the darth, for the things that, that are prophesied here. And then in verse number 30, we have the first mention of the word elder, elders in the New Testament church. Now, right off the bat, you're going to put elders in and it's going to come up a whole bunch of times before this. In the New Testament, you're going to say, that's not true. It is true. If you go back and look, you'll find that every time that it talks about elders in the New Testament up until now, it's talking about in the synagogue. It's talking about things that have brought over from the Old Testament. This is the first time you find elders in the New Testament Church, which they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul So they sent it to the elders at the church at Jerusalem. They took up money to send it to Judea So I I was looking at something This this whole concept is very different from the way we do things today You see it all throughout Acts. You see it all throughout Paul's life, you know, in today you would think it would be the larger churches that would try to take up money or do things to help the smaller churches, right? Right? You'd think it would be the larger churches that want to take up more for missions and send out more missionaries and support more people around. It would be the larger churches that would try to send missionaries, evangelists, singers out to the smaller churches that, that the home church would be the one trying to help everybody out there. But, but it's not like that in this day. It's not like that in the day that, that the Scriptures are written. Remember the Apostle Paul, he talks lots of times about, hey, you know, take up the collections, and when I come, that there'll be no need to take up money then. I'll get it on my way to Jerusalem, and I'll take it to the church at Jerusalem. Paul talks a lot about that, about when I come by the church, hey, you know, go ahead and take the collections, have them ready. He talks about how, how he's supported. Paul makes it clear that really the only faithful supporting church he has is the church at Philippi. What we talked about, I think, even Sunday, I mentioned Philippians 419, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, which is in Christ Jesus, that promise does not matter to an individual that's not taking care of the missionary, that that promise was made to the church at Philippi because they supported the apostle Paul. So we know that the church at Philippi seems to be the only Real supporting church of the Apostle Paul, although in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, he does say that when I was present with you, so he's talking to the church at Corinth, he says, when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. So he tells those at Corinth, you didn't give me anything. I'm not accountable to you. I, I, I don't owe you anything. He says, I did my own work. I worked, I made tents, I worked with my own hands, I took care of myself. So I'm not responsible any man. Although while I was there, there were some that came from Macedonia and in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, so will I keep myself. So Paul says multiple times, I, I worked to support myself. I wasn't a, a burden to the church. And, and he gives us examples of what some others did for him and some needs that were met. But here in the book of Acts, in, in, in a modern-day mentality, it would seem like the church at Jerusalem would be taking up to send things out to all the other churches, right? And that's that the concept? I mean, you got a new church coming up here at Antioch. Seem like they would need help. Send your best singing groups up there. Send your most powerful preachers up there. Get in on the revival. Be a part of it, it would seem like. But yet, it's not that way every church Around the region every church in the scriptures take up money and they send it back To Jerusalem now. I wish I had a really good answer for that for you If I if I find anything, I'll come back and let you know But I did kind of I did kind of wonder this and I'm just telling you straight up. I haven't I haven't found why I found that it's true you can find that over and over in the Scriptures. All y'all know that, right? They're always sending money to the church at Jerusalem, the mother church. Yet the church at Jerusalem is always pessimistic about even the other church's existence, right? Even here, they're like, oh, we've got to send somebody to check this out. Mm-mm. Man, that's an Antioch, really? Christ, Christians? Mm-mm. We've got to send some people to investigate make sure this is legit. So all they're really doing is putting their nose in everybody else's business, making sure that what they're doing is right. But all the other churches are sending money back to Jerusalem. About the only thing I could think of, and I can't tell if it's right or wrong, but I can make a point in our own lives from what it may be. Old habits die hard. We've seen that a lot in the Acts of the Apostles, haven't we? Is they've they've been dealing, they've been trying to overcome one thing after another. and, And we see that old habits die hard. Things in our life that don't need to be there are hard to get out of our life. Things that, honestly, a lot of them may be tradition. It's just we've always done it that way. That doesn't mean God always wants it done that way. Because I've always done it that way a lot of times is what keeps us from doing what the Holy Spirit wants us to do because he's trying to get us to do something. He don't care how you used to do it. What he cares about is listen to me. Do what I want you to do. Listen to what I'm telling you and let me make you a usable vessel now. Yesterday's news doesn't matter. That's true in my life. That's true in your life. That's true in our lives. That's true in this church life. It does not matter what we did yesterday. All that matters is, God, what do you want me to do right now? The reason I say old habits die hard, the only thing I could think of relating to, and again, I have no scriptural background to this, but I do know this for a fact. Before this point, everything had to go to Jerusalem, right? That's when Jesus made the example, and the widow put in the two mites. You got people with camels full of money, donkeys full of gold. They had to bring everything to the synagogue at Jerusalem. The middle, the widow puts in the two mice, and Jesus says, she put in more than anybody because they all put in a little bit out of their wealth. She put in everything out of her poverty. So what we know from Scripture is that everything had to go to the synagogue at Jerusalem. So other than old habits die hard, I can't really understand why all the other churches keep sending money back to Jerusalem. The only thing, the more I looked at it, was it just showed me stuff in my own life. Don't worry about old habits. Don't worry about how you used to do it. Don't worry about how things used to be. Get on your knees. Pray. Seek God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Seek wisdom for today. Don't worry... Try try to think. Just try to think in the Scriptures. Where did God do the same thing the same way twice? What got Moses in trouble? He did the same thing twice. God told him to speak to the rock, right? No, he told him to smite the rock. First time he told him to smite the rock. He smote the rock, the water gushed out. But the second time, what did God tell him? Speak to the rock. What'd he do? Old habits die hard. I hit it the last time water came out, so I hit it again. And the water came out, but he got in trouble. Because it's not what God said to do. Throughout the scriptures, what you'll always find, God does not ever duplicate himself. He doesn't have to. He's the God of originality. He's the God of creation. He's the God of all things. So he's not worried about even in our own storms in life, a lot of times. Anybody ever been through a storm and God got you out of it? Two of us? (laughs) Trials, life trials, health trials, marriage trials, money trials. We've been through trials and God got us out of it. And we've never been in those trials again, right? Yeah, yeah, right. And when it comes around the next time, we start trying to duplicate what happened the last time. See, we didn't learn anything the last time. Because if we did, we'd have seen how God got it out of it. We would have learned to take our hands off of it. God got it, but what we started doing is trying to duplicate what happened the last time when all God wants us to do is the same thing. He warned last time, be still and let me handle it. She says, I'm out of time. I don't have no clock. I don't put my phone up. She knows I don't have a watch on. There ain't nobody going out in this. I might as well preach. Huh? Yeah. And they can't. I don't know. Them in the gym, they're going to run the youngins out of the gym whether we come down there or not, ain't they? They're like, look, my time's up. My time on the clock's over. Well, Lord, Lord willing, we'll pick up chapter 12 next week. I have no idea what time it is, so we're just going to pray, and, and that's where it's going to be. And if you've got children, they would greatly appreciate it if you come get them before you go home. God, thank you so much. God, I God, I ask you, Lord, you just forgive us, God. We we get in our own way so much. We try to fix things ourselves when you have everything under control, God. And what I see time and time again in this study, God, I see it over and over where, where old habits die hard. And it caused so many problems in the life of the Jews in that day. And it causes so many problems in our lives in this day, God. If we just learn to just trust you, just follow you, just Listen and obey you, God. It would, it would make things so much better. So many more lost souls could be saved. So many people could see Christ in us. God, I pray you'd just help us. Father, it is our heart's desire. We sit right here tonight for one reason. We want to be pleasing to you. We want to learn more about you, know more about you, and live more like you. God, I pray you'd help us to do that, God. We love you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.